Well, thank you everyone for coming this morning to session two, sanctification, continuing the journey. Last week, we started the journey with the gospel, and uh, this week we're going to continue the journey with sanctification. And let me just start by trying to define this word sanctification. In essence, what this word means is It is the process by which God changes us to be more and more like Jesus. So if you could just think about the process by which God changes us to be more and more like Jesus. Look on page four of lesson two. If you're in lesson two, go to page four. Down in the middle of the page, it says sanctification defined, sanctification defined. And I thought it'd be interesting just to start with that definition. Sanctification is the continuing work of God in the life of a believer. It is a progressive work in which we become more and more free from sin and like Christ. In short, our actual lives become increasingly conformed with our legal status before God. So, in essence, what we talked about last week was the legal status, what we call justification, the gospel. So in justification, point in time, God makes you alive, gives you faith, causes you to repent, you repent of your sins, you turn to Christ, He saves you. That's called being justified. So think of it as point in time. Sanctification now is going to be a process over the rest of your life until the day either you die or the day that Jesus returns, it's done. On that day, we will be glorified. Glorified, that is, we'll have new bodies, Uh, we'll we'll be like Christ. We won't be God, but our character will be perfected, we'll be like Christ. So, salvation, if you want to look at salvation, there's three aspects to salvation. Justification, point in time, Paul would say we have been saved, if you're a believer sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus, what we're going to talk about today, we are being saved, and glorification, we will be saved. These bodies will take on an eternal, immortal body, and will live with God forever in a new heavens and a new earth. Today we're talking about sanctification, the ongoing process by which we become more and more like Jesus. So go back to page one of the notes, and let's talk about this. That conversion sets us on this glorious path in which God will continue to work out His gracious purposes in our lives. So that's that's what we're talking about today. God's gracious purposes in our lives. And the goal of our salvation is holiness. Is holiness. So that Jesus is now our Savior. He's our Lord and He's renovating us. It's like a renovation process. And that renovation process is what we call sanctification. See, what happened, guys, is at the fall, when Adam and Eve chose to sin, they took a perfectly wonderful situation, paradise, and they ruined it. And sin was introduced. Paradise was lost. Man fell. Death was introduced. We are made in the image of God, and that image was marred, it was scratched, it was damaged. If you have a nice car, which I know, Julian, you like nice cars, imagine your nice car gets in a wreck. Now, some wrecks aren't too bad. You go to some guy and he fixes it, but let's say you get like, you total it. 
Well, imagine totaling your car and then totaling it again and totaling it again and totaling. Okay. Yeah. Well, and and no one ever really fixes it. By the time you've totaled it five times, you can barely recognize it as your car. That's mankind. That's that total depravity we talked about last week. That's that sin. It's so marred the image of God, you can barely even see it in us. But it is there. Jesus comes and renovates us. First, he justifies us. And now, he's going to start straightening out the fenders. He's going to start sanding down this. He's going to start replacing doors and the roof and rack and pinion, whatever. That's the extent of my knowledge of cars. And he's gonna, and that car is gonna be renovated. But listen, not just you personally, but guess what? All of creation. All of creation. All of creation. So turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter eight, and we're gonna see that. Romans chapter eight, which is a a key, key um, passage when it comes to what we're talking about here. Romans chapter eight. And let's, let's drop into um, verse, oh, Romans 8. Uh, let's, con- let's start with verse 18. Okay, Romans 8, 18. And I've got it right here on my iPhone. And I'm going to hand my iPhone to you, Mike, so you can read. I'm going to read it. You can just read along. Romans 8, 18. Everybody got it? Okay. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now look, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. This is speaking of the fall. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So creation was corrupted at the fall. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have, who, who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's talking about glorification. For in this we hope, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what? He sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What this is describing, every human being is looking for paradise. Why do you think Disney makes billions every year? Everybody wants, everybody has a sense of, my car is wrecked. How do I fix it? The problem is, we try to fix it with everything but the one thing that's going to fix it, which is a savior. So here's the groaning. Even creation groans. But here's our hope. Look at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? If you look at our notes, Roman number one, the goal of our holiness is, or of our salvation is what? Holiness. That's the purpose, guys. And he's going to declare the purpose right here. And we know, verse 28, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29. 
Here's his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's holiness. To be like Jesus. Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Remember we, yesterday, last week we talked about effectual calling. He called us, woke us up, brought us up from the dead, gave the gospel, irresistibly called us, justified us, gave us the, the ability to repent of our sins, put our faith in Jesus. Okay, And then now he's... He's sanctifying us this week. He's making us into the image of Jesus. That's what this scripture says. He called us. Uh, He foreknew us. Remember we talked about he called you before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to what? To be conformed to his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Verse 30. And and, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So folks, there you get a sense of sanctification. It's part of the process of salvation. Now, back to the notes, page one of lesson two. What is the barrier to our sanctification, to our holiness? The barrier to our sanctification, to our holiness, is sin. Sin. Sin is what keeps us from this. It deserves God's punishment. It mars God's good creation. It obscures the display of his glory. I'm reading from that paragraph under... Uh, capital A under number one, the barrier to sin, holiness is sin. And then salvation is the beginning of the process of removing sin and its effects from our lives. It's the beginning of, of, of restoring Julian's beautiful hot rod, his beautiful uh, sports car <laughs> with the nice rims that's been in a total five times. Salvation is the beginning of restoring it. Okay? So at regeneration, bullet point one under capital A, The power of sin is broken. We're made alive in Christ. We talked about that last week. Regeneration, to make something that was dead alive. In justification, the penalty of sin is removed as we are declared righteous in Christ. Again, we talked about that last week. If if that hasn't happened to you, that has to happen to you. You must repent and you must believe and God must work this in your life. And by the way, there's a fancy term for that. That is totally monergistic. Mono, one. God is the one that initiates. God is the one that calls. God is the one that justifies. You cannot call yourself. You cannot justify yourself. If you're dead, you cannot make yourself alive. But if God has called you and made you alive, you do have to respond in repentance and faith. But it's all on God. We respond, but he initiates. He does it. He finds you. He chooses you. And then you respond. Now, the third bullet point. In sanctification, the pollution of sin. Now, here we go. The pollution of sin. The pollution of sin is progressively removed as we are made holy in Christ. You might be sitting there right now thinking, you know, Al, I do some things that... Sorry about that. My computer just malfunctioned. I have no idea how long it hadn't been recorded. Um, So in in, um, the pollution of sin is taken away. And so God does his work of making us clean. He removes that which keeps us from being holy so that he changes us. That's what we're talking about right now. I know what I'm saying. You guys may be thinking, Al, I do things that are really, really bad. I may, maybe did them last night. All right. I'm not saying that's right. 
God. God wants to change you. But listen, if he's justified you, you are his son or his daughter. That's part of sanctification. He's, he's cleaning us up. He's knocking out the dents in the bumpers. And guess what? Every once in a while we go out and we get in some fender benders, you know, and he's knock them out again. That's the process of sanctification, of being made like Christ. And it's a beautiful process. So on page one at the bottom, to be holy means to be set apart to God. It means to be transformed, renewed, confirmed, matured, and to grow into what? Who we are in Christ. So turn to page two in your notes. And if you're listening to this recording, I, don't, I have no idea when I clicked out, but we're on the top of page two, and thank you for your patience. So, we talk, we're talking about the, the barrier to, sin, to holiness is sin, and so the Lord, He regenerates us, He uh, justifies us, and now He's sanctifying us. And the top of page two, there are these scriptures that call us to be holy, and um, and then, and so our model then for holiness, capital B, on the top of page 2, is Jesus Christ. And I just read that scripture, Romans 8.29. You see it there in the notes. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And the motive for our holiness is the love for God. This is love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdens. So let's talk about the battle for holiness, shall we? The battle for holiness at the bottom of page two. This battle for holiness is the process of sanctification. It's not easy. Holiness is God's will for us, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. Given our sinfulness, given the sinful world in which we live, this process involves a battle, one that will require our energies for the rest of our lives. So, capital A, under number two, the power of sin is broken. Listen, as unbelievers, we were slaves to sin. We were unwilling, unable to resist sin. But now that we are regenerated, we are freed from the power of sin. Its ruling force in our lives is broken. We don't have to sin anymore. I love this passage on the top of page three, Romans 6, 2, and then 6 and 11. For we died to sin. How can we live in any longer? For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. All right, so here's the big question. We're at the top of page three in lesson two. Top of page three of lesson two. Okay, Al, if the power of sin has been broken over me, remember we talked about sort of this, this threefold salvation deal that at regeneration the power of sin is broken over me? Why do I keep sinning? Top of page three, lesson two. Why do I keep sinning? This is what the world is asking us as believers. You guys are a bunch of hypocrites. If you say you're saved, man, I, I've seen how you drive out. I reference up driving a lot, don't I? Because that's an area where I'm tempted, you know? Uh, I, I hear how you talk at work. I've seen your tax returns there. Hmm. You know, I, I've seen how you treat your kids sometimes, how you treat your wife. Why do we keep sinning if the power of sin is broken in our lives? Here's why. We're justified. Our legal status is that of righteous, holy in God. But we're being sanctified and we're becoming who we are in Jesus. So, so Julian's car gets in 
gets totaled. It's a beautiful sports car. I just recently saw, I like foreign cars. I saw a four-door Porsche, brand new, beautiful, beautiful car. That would be my car, okay? Yours would be, I know, something else, but what would yours be, Julian? Tell me. I love the four-door All right, then you and I have the four-door Porsche. That's the image of God, and we total it like five or six times, and it's lying on the side of the road, and it is broken, and it is, you can't even tell it was a four-door Porsche. And God, in his grace, takes us, and he justifies us, and he spends the rest of our lives restoring us to be who we are before the fall, so that at the end of our lives, what comes out is a beautiful four-door Porsche, perfectly detailed. Do you understand? But for the rest of our lives, we're getting the dents hammered out. We're getting the roof done. We're getting the paint job done. We're, you understand? But, 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 yeah, but we have the picture of the four-door Porsche on my refrigerator saying, that's who I am. That's who I was before the fall. That's who Christ is restoring me to be. That's the image of Christ. That's what gives me hope when I go around acting like, you know, a four-cylinder Yugo, which is an old car they used to try to sell in the States here. You know, I'm driving around like a four-cylinder Yugo with one cylinder out and the door hanging off. And, and, and David comes up to me and says, Al, you're a four-door Porsche. Stopped acting like a, two, a two-door Yugo. You, you got that? So though I am positionally righteous before God, God is restoring me to be who I am. That's what we're talking about today. That's sanctification. That's why I still sin. I don't have to sin. I do, but that's not who I am. And so I go to the cross, and God begins to change my life. Okay, look at capital B on the top of page 3. The presence of sin remains. Though the power of sin is broken at regeneration, the presence of sin remains, and there's a very important term that the Bible uses. It's called the flesh. If you see in that paragraph underneath capital B on the top of page 3, the sinful nature or indwelling sin. Those are, those, are, those are English words that translate a Greek word, sarks, which, which means that part in you and me that still wants to sin, that's not who I really am, it's called indwelling sin, and so that the presence of sin is still with me. I'm still tempted. Now, each of you can think about maybe what your greatest temptation is right now. Maybe the thing you wouldn't want to share with us, but you know, man, I wish I could stop doing that. Or I wish I could start doing that. Think about it in your mind. Okay. And maybe some, for some, it's really bad stuff. That's indwelling sin. That's not who you are. If you are made righteous in Christ, that's not who you are. That's that Yugo carburetor that someone snuck into your Porsche engine. And sanctification is God removing it and putting the Porsche carburetor in. It's a process. You're going to get genuine parts before the whole thing's over so that you are, you'll become who you are. But don't forget who you are. Okay? All right, look at Galatians 5, 6, and 7. He's writing to Christians here. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. There's that word sinful nature, the sarks, the flesh. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. So listen, you are a new creation in Christ, but the presence of sin is still there. It's called the sinful nature and there's a fight. It's okay to have a fight. 
That means you're, you're a Christian. Before you're a Christian, there's no fight. You just gave in to the sinful nature. You didn't have another nature saying, no, no, don't do that. You said, whatever. Okay? So it's a fight. And where is the battle? Look at C. The heart is the battlefield. John Owen, who's written many good works on this idea of sanctification, a Puritan author, lived many, many, many years ago, several centuries ago, said this. Regeneration makes man's heart a battlefield. Remember, regeneration is to take your dead heart and make it alive. Where the flesh tirelessly disputes the, dis- the supremacy of the spirit. Absolutely. That's exactly what we're talking about. So growth and holiness always comes through the pathway of the heart. The Holy Spirit doesn't just change us outwardly, but he changes us inwardly. He transforms us. It's not just do the right things, but rather change your heart. So we don't want to be a church that just dresses up and everybody looks good on the outside. Or everybody conforms to a certain set of legalistic rules. That's not what it's about. It's about changing one's heart. Changing one's heart. And the problem is that that remaining sin in our hearts, it's deceptive, it's wicked, it's active. It's an act of rebellion against God. Romans 7, 8, and 21. This is the Apostle Paul writing as a mature, church-planning believer. This guy is a leader in the church. Listen to how he describes himself as a Christian. But sin produced in me every kind of covetous desire. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. In Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful about all things. Who can understand it? So the Bible teaches us that our sinful behavior, it's not caused by other people or other circumstances. It's caused by my will, my desires, my cravings, my longings, my lust. I love this last line on the bottom of page two, 3. Whatever rules our hearts determines what we do and say in response and situations, in response to people and situations. Top of page four. I love James 4 1. Whenever I get in a fight with my wife, yes, I get in a fight with my wife. Don't look at me so religiously, okay? <laughs> You're getting some doozies, man. Sinners, right? Whenever we do, this scripture here in James 4.1 helps inform my heart. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And as a matter of fact, I'm going to continue to read that. There's another section there after that. Don't they come from desires that battle within you? And it goes on to say there in James 4.1, um, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So whenever I get in a fight with my wife, first thing I ask myself is, Al, what are you wanting in this situation that you're not getting? Because scripture tells me I'm going to war to get it. It can be respect. It can be, you name it, being right in an argument. It could be fill in the blank, guys. So the argument, she didn't cause me to get angry. I'm not getting something. And I'm getting angry. That helps me. Because the battlefield is in here. It's not out there. We don't sin, number four, because our hearts are empty, wounded, broken, or in need of love or self-esteem or significance. No, we sin because of sinful desires that have not been recognized and put to death. Romans 8, 5 and 8. 
Those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what the nature desires. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Indwelling sin inclines our hearts to forget the gospel and to seek happiness, joy, peace, rest, security, and satisfaction outside of Christ. So if you deny me the thing I'm seeking idolatrously outside of Christ, I'm going to get mad at you. I'm going to go to war to get it, man, because I'm worshiping a false idol. So the problem isn't my wife. It's me. I gotta ch- God needs to change my heart so that I start worshiping Jesus and want him more than that other thing, whatever I think is going to bring me to happiness or whatever it might bring. The heart's idolatrous pursuit of, quote, life outside of Christ leads to sinful behavior, the idols of the heart. All right, so let's bring this thing home with the process of sanctification, the process of sanctification. So how does God deal with these issues in our hearts? Well, I've already defined sanctification for you. Okay, so the process of sanctification, I'm going to read it again on page 4, sanctification defines, sanctification is the continuing work of God in the life of a believer. It is a progressive work in which we become more and more free from sin and more and more like Jesus. That's that Romans 8 28 through 30 passage we quoted. In short, our actual lives become increasingly conformed with our legal status before God. The Porsche starts looking like a Porsche and stops looking like a Yugo. So, number one, it's a process. It's not instant. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Number two, is there discernible progress? We, we, we actually do become more and more like Jesus. We stop lying. We stop being selfish. We stop being lustful. We may not stop immediately, but you know what? We do it less and less and less and less. And God changes us. It's a work of grace. Oh, guys, listen, though, though we cooperate with sanctification, it's every bit as much a work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot power ourselves in this. The difference is in sanctification, we cooperate with the grace, whereas in justification, it's monergistic. It's totally irresistible grace that draws us. But in sanctification, yes, we begin to cooperate with that grace, but it's a work of grace. Top of page five. I love this difference. Top of page five, that half paragraph there. The key difference, very first line there, the key difference is that in justification we are passive, but in sanctification we actively cooperate with the Holy Spirit in receiving and responding to God's grace. Now I'm not going to go into this, into this a lot, but I do want to alert you to in the body of Christ today, that line right there is under dispute. There would be some who would speak of grace and radical grace, almost in the, the, the term of we're almost somewhat passive in sanctification as well. I think it's a mistake. You can talk, you can jot a question down here. Ask Al about this in our, in our pastoral interview, okay? Uh, I think it's a mistake, and I think that we need to be careful of this. Remember I told you in the first class, I read you that passage out of 1 Corinthians 3, And I told you that pastors are like farmers working the land or like builders building a building. And we can only build that building on the foundation of Jesus and how we build will be tested. And I told you that you need to make sure that any church you join is building on the foundation of Jesus. And that's why we start with the gospel. I think this is a gospel issue. It's not as vital as what we talked about last week, but it has implications. 
And if I totally confuse you, just put a big question mark there, and we'll talk about it in the pastoral interview at the end of this. And if you're listening on the tape, just come to Palm Vista and ask me about it. Why aren't you in church anyways? Just kidding. All right. This cooperative activity is vividly portrayed by the Apostle Paul. Look at Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. He's writing to Christians, right? Therefore, my dear friends, continue to work out your salvation. Whoa! Oh, is Paul saying that I saved myself? No, he clearly doesn't say that. Ephesians 2 says you were dead and now you're alive. Because he's talking about justification. But remember, salvation includes not just justification, point in time, but sanctification process. That's what he's talking about here. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now look, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Remember, the, the, the principal actor here is still God. But you have a part to play in sanctification. You got up this morning, you got dressed. If you have children, you got your children ready. You got in the car, you had breakfast, and you're sitting here. Great on you. That's a work. Yeah, I got it. Good for you, though. And you know what? God's going to work in your life. There's a part of this that you can't do, I can't do, that God's going to do. But you had a part to play to get here. Do you see the difference? Whereas in justification, buddy, he just saved you. Now, you did respond, but he saved you. Big difference there, okay? All right. So, we work. The Holy Spirit works. B, I just talked about that, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we, who with unveiled faces, will all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness and ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So it's the Lord who does the transforming. But we work. We work. I just read Philippians 2, uh, Colossians 1.29. To this end, I labor, struggling with all His energy, which so powerfully works in me. Hebrews 12.14. Make every effort to be holy. Page 6. So, if we work, what do we do? All right, so here, here's the game plan. I'm a big football guy. This is, this is Super Bowl game plan. Only this is bigger than the Super Bowl. This is how we're going to win because it's God's plan. Not just for you to be more like Jesus, but guess what? All of us together are going to be more like Jesus called the church. That's why you are considering membership. It's not just an individualistic thing or even for your family. Glad you're here with your family. But man, God wants to make one new man, the church, who then represents Jesus to this community of South Florida. So it's all of us, Robert, Mike, Robin, and Vicki, and Julian, and um, David, and Jasmine. I'm always fearful when I do that, because I always forget everybody's name. Oh, yeah, I know you. <laughs> David and Jasmine, it, it, it's, it's bringing us all together as each one of us are growing in Christ. We grow as a body in Christ, and the world says, wow, these people are different. That's the goal, guys. That's what being holy is all about. It means we were called out from God to be His people. That's why I'm so glad you're here this morning. So, how does that happen? Here we go, the practice of sanctification. Top of page 6. First of all, is called putting sin to death. It's a fancy term there, mortification. Look at that Ephesians 4, 22-24. Paul is writing to Christians. Remember that. And this is what he says. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, we all have a former way of life, to put off your old self. That's that word sarks, that flesh, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. So 
Mortification is the putting off. It's the putting to death. It's what the Bible calls it. John Owen says there, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Colossians 3.5, I love this. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. By the way, Ephesians and Colossians were written at the same time when Paul was in prison, probably in Rome. They're called the prison epistles. Ephesians was written to the Ephesian believers in, a, in, a, in modern-day Turkey. Colossians was written to the Colossian believers at a distance from Ephesus, and they're very similar. So look what he says in Colossians. He's telling Christians to stop doing. Look what he's telling them to stop doing. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. What? I thought you guys were, were, were delivered from the power of sin. Whoa, you hypocritical Christians. You guys are worse than uh, the, the world. You do everything we do, you just hide it. We're hypocrites if we hide it. But we don't hide it upon this. We look each other in the eye and say, hey, I messed up last night. Hey, hey, I, I took that, I took the car out, Julian, and it was almost done. And I snuck in the garage and I took it out and, and, and I, I, got, I sideswiped the guy. Now, you know, fill in the blank, right? It's a metaphor for whatever you do, I do, that we know is wrong, that we are ashamed that we do them. Okay. Then I wake up the next morning and I say, but that's not me. Let's bring it back to the shop. Jesus cleansed my sins and he's changing me. I'm not going to do that anymore. Whether it's drinking too much, doing drugs, illicit affairs, cheating, stealing, lying, anger, fill in the blank. None of it shocks God. He knew it when he saved you. But see, he sees you differently. He sees you different. He sees you like Jesus. You're not the Yugo anymore. You're the Porsche. He sees you as you are in Christ, and he's changing you to be like that. It's, a, it's hypocritical if I do it and lie about it and pretend to be what I'm not. It's just being an honest person to say, yeah, I messed up again. I come to the cross. I'm with my brothers and sisters. I don't stop coming to church. I press into friends. And they don't judge me. They say, come on, let's go put an arm around me. Let's change together. Do you see that? That's the church. When the world sees that, they say, okay, they're not holier than thou. They're not judgmental. And they're not playing a game. They're really trying to change. And every once in a while, they mess up. All right. Right? Okay, that's what we're talking about here. So what is mortification? Bottom of page six. We're aware of sin. We're trying to figure out how it works in my life, how I'm particularly tempted. I am tempted to anger when I drive. I was tempted this morning. It's crazy. I know you're looking at me going, what's wrong with you? But then I start thinking, why am I tempted? I start going to my heart. Because remember I told you about uh, I get mad when I don't get what I want? Well, what I want this morning is to get to church on time to serve you. A good thing. A good thing. But I want it too much. So the guy that's driving you know, on his cell phone at three miles an hour. So what do I do? I say, okay, slow down. Trust God to get to church on time. And if you can get around him, slowly get around him, you know. But don't, like, fly around him and let him know that I was irritated with him and then cut right in front of him. Yeah, I know you never do that, but every once in a while I've done that. I haven't done that to you guys, have I? <laughs> hey, there goes Al. Pray for him, honey. He must be mad again. Um, so, so what caused my sin? The guy doing 10 miles an hour? No. Oh, no. He revealed my sin, which is I want to get to church, and you're in my way, buddy, so I'm mad. Whoa. Chill out. Do you see that? Do you see how that works? You know, you laugh about it right now, but if you can learn to overcome that by the grace of God, guess what? When you come home 
and your wife denies you what you want, or your children, or at work, and it's a little bit bigger, you've exercised that muscle so that you can say, whoa, I recognize this. This is what happened to me on the palmetto. I'm not getting what I want. And then you slow down, and instead of immediately getting mad at people, you say, okay, Lord, what do I want so much? I, I want it too much. It's an idol. It's a good thing, but it's become an idol. I lay it down at your feet. Let me be kind. I mean, if I can get around, sure, but, but you know, see where I'm going with this? And then suddenly you start changing. You become kind and patient, right? And the Bible says love is kind. Love is patient. Love is kind. There you go. Boop, boop, first two which I fail in miserably often. And I'm changing to be more like Jesus. Do you see that process? That's what we're talking about here. Okay, so jump over to cultivating righteousness. What I just shared with you in that illustration is everything at the bottom of page 6 and the top of page 7 of putting to death. And then <clears throat> cultivating righteousness, it's not just putting off the bad, it's putting on the good. So I'm putting on who I am. Look at the Colossians 3.12 one. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and beloved, dearly loved, clothe yourselves, look at this, with compassion and kindness. So in my car, I take off the clothing of impatience and rudeness, and I put on the clothing of compassion and kindness. Now, take that metaphor too far, okay? You don't want to be changing clothes in your car, but you understand what I'm saying, right? In my heart, I'm different. That's what we're talking about. That's the process. Turn the page. Page 8, bringing it home. What are the weapons in the warfare? Well, remember I told you, yes, I have to cooperate with God, but the Spirit is the one that helps me, guys. I, the Spirit must be with me. <clears throat> the Spirit empowers me. Guess what empowers me? The Spirit comes and He empowers the Bible to me. I read 1 Corinthians 12, wait, 13, right? Yeah, 13, the love chapter. And... Uh, and I understand that love is patient and love is kind. And then I read the Bible that Jesus in Matthew 22 tells me that, that the greatest commandment is to love God and to love my neighbor. And so the Spirit takes those two commandments and says, Pino, I want to make you into the image of Christ. Therefore, if love is patient and kind, I want to change you to be patient and kind. So the Bible is an important weapon in this. Prayer is an important weapon. I pray before I drive. You fill in the blank with whatever it is with you. I'm using driving as a, as a convenient metaphor, as a picture. You understand where I'm going with this. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit. It's powered by the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit. And then the last one is other Christians. And that's why I'm so glad you're here this morning. I don't think we can do this on our own. I don't. That's why I would encourage you, if, you're, if you haven't visited them yet, that you would visit our community groups. You may have other groups of people you hang out with. That's cool. But... But it just, I found with me that if I don't make a concerted effort to get with people and really talk about this, I mean, it's, it's okay to hang out with folks and watch the Super Bowl. I did that. Do that. Don't stop doing that. But, but like, really get with people. Like, say, let's get together and, and let's at some point talk about this. What community groups do is it gives you a, a good way to do that twice a month. We want it to happen more than that. But you understand what I'm saying? Other Christians who know your struggles, who can help you pray. If you're married, it starts with your spouse, absolutely. If you're engaged or dating, the person that you're engaged with or dating. But, you know, it moves to others as well. Okay, so at the top of page 9, that's why we do what we do. By the way, it says uh, home groups there. It should be community groups. Um, yeah, guys, 
I think I think that'll bring us to the end here. We're at nine thirty, and I, I want to give us time to get to the service. Um, so glad that you're here, guys. This is the battle that's worth it. This is where Christianity, the rubber meets the road, and we we are who we are, and we are who we are together. That's why the church is so important. So let's build a church that does this, huh? If God does choose to join you to this church, it'd be a, a privilege to have you. You've heard the two most important lessons, the gospel, sanctification. And so uh, next week, what we're going to talk about, uh, as empowered by the Spirit, we're going to talk about <clears throat> our view of the Holy Spirit. Um, some people call that pneumatology, pneuma being spirit. Um, so we're going to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit. And today I'm going to be preaching on the power of the Holy Spirit as well, in, out of Acts 11, 19 to, to 30. God bless you. We'll see you in there.